Welcome to Day 2 Cloud. We are jumping into the deep end of the networking pool today, talking about the OpenZD project, which is which is zero trust, it is application-based, and it is a lot more. There's a lot going on here, Ned, isn't there? There is, and I think when people hear the words zero trust, they get a little concerned that it's going to be a bunch of marketing hype and fluff. This is not that. We we dismiss that notion right away and then get down into the guts of what OpenZD does and how it can apply to either your applications or just your general systems. Our guest today is Clint Dovalock. Clint is a developer and zero trust advocate. He knows where the bodies are buried in this project. <laughs> I mean, he knows... I think he's probably forgotten more than we even get to cover in this episode. He goes deep and it goes fast. So strap in and enjoy this conversation about OpenZD. Clint, nice to have you today. Uh, man, I've done a lot of uh, homework for this show, getting set to try to understand this product, OpenZD, what it's all about. And to set the stage, Clint, you've got to tell us what zero trust means to you, because it's one of those things that's been marketing washed everything zero trust so what does zero trust mean from your perspective i i gotta tell you ethan that it absolutely is uh it, it has become almost uh almost like a poison pill we don't want to we don't want to talk about zero trust anymore we want to talk about not trusting our network instead so zero trust is a term that you'll hear thrown about everybody's zero trust you can't throw your rock into the internet ocean without hitting some sort of zero trust product right so OpenZD is a free and open source project. It's available on GitHub, and it's all about bringing no trust or not trusting your network into your applications, hopefully all the way into your application space. But we have lots of, uh, lots of pieces of that overlay network that we call zero trust itself, not trusting the actual network. How do you not trust the network? You need things like strong identities. You need things like policies. You need things like uh x509 certificates are those strong identities so for me zero trust it really means trust no one don't trust the network okay trust no one uh don't trust the network okay um now you said free and open source but here you are net foundry sponsoring the show so does that mean it's free and open source and it's the version you don't want that only supports five nodes <laughs> and if you want something that actually does something you gotta upgrade well, uh, you absolutely can go get that version if you'd like. Uh, there is there is a up to 10 nodes uh, free version for sure. But no, uh, OpenZD is totally open source. Um, I was telling somebody recently, I wrote all the quick starts. So if you go out to openzd.github.io, there are four quick starts. One, I don't want to install Docker. One, I love Docker. One, I love Docker Compose. And one, I'll run Docker. I'll run it anywhere and just let me figure it out, right? So those quick starts, you can absolutely go run and take right now. If you are relatively competent with a Bash shell and you have some server in the cloud somewhere, you can go host your own right now. Make your own virtual private server in no time. And no no limits on this thing. It's just, it's truly free open nope. source as you're saying okay yeah totally free and open source so it's the uh, it's the open core model so netfoundry has a sas well nas offering uh, but you can absolutely run it yourself if you okay. if you want to run it yourself there's a little bit of work involved obviously you got to set up servers you got to you know maintain it and that sort of thing uh, there is a ui that comes along with it we call it the zd administration console the zac so you don't have to be a cli ninja but we do have a CLI as well. And so you can go out and install all this stuff. Uh, I am the open source shill for NetFoundry, which okay. means I go out and I sell the open source stuff. I don't sell the pay for product. You can go get it. If you don't go, go get it if you want to pay for it for sure, because not everybody wants to run their own network, right? And maintain it and have staff that, you know, sit around the clock monitoring your network, but you can absolutely run the whole thing yourself. Clint, you're not an open source shill. You're an open source evangelist. Come on, man. You got, oh, I'm sorry. You're right. So, so, so very uh, you know, speaking of, of the robes, right? So there is also uh, our, our mascot Ziggy. If you go out to Twitter and you want to follow Ziggy, you can. Uh, one of the things, one of the hashtags that you'll see Ziggy use a lot is closed kimono. His kimono never opens. No ports are ever open on an open ZD network. Oh boy. Mm. <laughs> I, I have to say that I really appreciate that you've included a UI in the open source, the core version of it. That is something that is 
often overlooked or only available in the the paid for version that's that's considered an add-on an enterprise feature and as much as i like using the cli i don't <laughs> always like not having a ui to, to fall back on or just get you know a visual representation of what's going on 100 sometimes being able to see how all those little pieces of your policy puzzle go together really comes it steps in place when you can see it in a ui when you're looking at it in a CLI, you have to have your screen big enough. You have to know the right incantations. You can't really explore. I mean, you can explore by just typing the same thing over and over again. ZD space, edge space, list, enter. And then, you know, you can do that over and over again. But if you have a UI, you can just go there and play. Oh, these are all the things that are available to me. Oh, what's an edge router? Oh, what's a policy? Oh, you know, you can, you can explore that way. One of the things you mentioned in your definition of zero trust is trust no one. But like, I have to trust something, right? Sure do. What yeah, is that's the a, component that I'm trusting in the world of ZD? That's a great question. In fact, it's such a great question that one of our engineers wrote a five part blog post about how, <laughs> how to bootstrap trust because it, it is a really complicated procedure. Uh, at the end of the day, what it comes down to is there's always somebody, there's always, a, ideally, I think, a human that sets up some sort of trust chain. Um, in an open ZD network, it's going to be a, a, a PKI, a public key infrastructure. When you run those quick starts I talked about, without a doubt, the single hardest part of setting up an open ZD network is setting up that whole trust chain. When you do that, you'll get this thing called a controller. And that controller will be seeded with some trust. It'll be a self-signed certificate out of the gate. You can absolutely use a legitimate certificate if you are um, well-versed enough with how to actually create a PKI. Uh, but, if you, but you don't have to. The, the Quick Start will do that all for you. Then you'll have a certificate that you know that you made. And if you can't trust yourself, well, then, Ned, I don't know who you can trust. <laughs> <laughs> That's a valid point. Uh, as someone who's had to stand up a, a few certificate authorities in the past and a whole P PKI uh, infrastructure, uh, that's sort of redundant, but yeah, set up PKI. I, it is a lot of work, especially when you're building that root CA, because it has to be done offline and has to be stored in a, in a special location. Some people would lock away a hard drive that has the key in, in a physical safe, uh, but we don't need to go that far <laughs> for the purposes of this episode. Well, I, well, also, don't don't forget a hardware root of trust, right? If you wanted to bring <laughs> that into the into the equation, you can certainly do that as well. So uh, that whole PKI can absolutely get very complicated. Mm -hmm. I know I just laser etch the uh, the entire string onto a piece of titanium and bury it in the backyard because <laughs> yeah. I've heard that's very secure. And you mail it, mail it to somebody. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, Glenn, what are we what are we assigning this identity to in an open ZD network? Is it uh, like is it a, like a firewall or a router or is it an application? At what level are we assigning identity? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question too. Uh, identities are literally at every level. So when you create a zero trust overlay network, first of all, you're going to make that controller. The first thing you're going to have to do after that is you're going to need a piece of the puzzle called an edge router. The edge router is what establishes the very first part of your mesh network. So OpenZD, all about mesh networking as well. Um, you, you can create multiple edge routers to create the fastest path amongst the internet. We used to have an engineer who would refer to that as the internet weather. What will happen is if the weather is bad on one link, it will route your traffic to another path. So you'll need those edge routers. Those edge routers themselves all have identities of their own. And uh, to create that identity, you need to bootstrap that trust. You're going to basically create a certificate signing request and that CSR will be sent to the controller and get signed. So the uh, the router itself, when you turn it on, it will create a private key. That private key will then generate a CSR. The CSR will go to the, the controller and back comes your certificate. Now the controller has uh, certified you. It knows what fingerprint you're going to be presenting and knows your certificate. It can perform mutual TLS between this, the, the edge router, the controller, the same can happen when you add that second edge router. Now those two edge routers form a mutual TLS link as well. So that's your, that's your initial basis. That's your first, say, two identities, those two edge routers. Then every single device you add has a requirement of having that same strong identity. We have things that we call tunneling applications. They're effectively VPN clients, but 
better, obviously, because there's zero trust. And mm -hmm. those tunneling applications themselves are capable of handling multiple identities. So you might be participating like I am. I think I have four networks that I'm participating in. Uh, one of which is our Bastion network here at NetFoundry. You cannot access our production environment without going through a Bastion. Well, we just wrote a blog post about taking our Bastion dark. What does it mean to have a dark Bastion? Doesn't a Bastion have to be listening on the open internet? Well, you don't need to with the Zero Trust Overlay Network. So that client will have an identity or multiple identities in it. And then the next step is actually, if, if we can get it, is to install that identity all the way into your application itself. That's really the, 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 you know, the end game of the OpenZD project is to get that zero trust goodness all the way into your app. But that's a journey. So getting there, we have lots of steps along the way. Every single piece has that strong identity. Okay, you mentioned a lot of different components there, and I want to dig into some of them. Uh, so I, I'm assuming the controller, that's sort of the control plane. That's what establishes connections with the different edge routers or other components and pushes like a policy to them or, or something That's along right. those lines. Yep, absolutely. Okay, so the first thing I got to do is stand up that controller, right? Yep, exactly. Yep. Okay, okay. And then we got the edge routers. What are those typically running on? Are they running on a virtual machine, uh, a physical server, all of the above? Yep. Yeah, they can run on really garbage equipment. So like when I run, when I run these myself in a dev environment, when I'm developing in the cloud, I will use the free tier and the free tier is almost always sufficient for all of my development needs. If you are pushing lots of uh, bytes across, you're going to end up hitting limits. So you need to get something that doesn't have a limit on, you know, how many IOPS you can do. But uh, generally speaking, these run on the minimal, minimal machines. Um, so, you know, two CPU, four gig of RAM is, is more than adequate for, I would say, most tasks until you start pushing lots of data. And then you're going to be CPU bound and you're going to be want to watch in the CPU, the network. And that's really where you're, it's not memory constrained. It's going to be CPU bound. Now, the edge router, um, you described edge routers as forming a mesh. Um, they end up with mutual TLS connections to each other which isn't immediately meaningful to me, MTLS, because TLS can be applied to a lot of different protocols. So what is the transport protocol between these edge routers? Oh, it's just TCP. So it's going to be making a TCP connection that, you, that establishes a secure connection, both uh, from the client's perspective and the server's perspective. The M stands for mutual TLS. So both sides will have to negotiate a, an actual secure socket connection. So it's going to be TCP. And so, and then it's a, so it's a TCP wrapper around the original packet that's being routed through the edge router mesh. Yes. So, so what will happen? Uh, and we haven't talked about onboarding packets yet. So let's talk about that client that we call the tunneler app, right? The thing that runs on my local machine, because what will happen is you're going to want to go to uh, one of the cool things about these tunneling apps is you can just have private DNS too. really cool aspect of ZD. For example, I have a, a client that runs Mattermost. Mattermost is a chat app, very much like Slack, except our chat app is dark. You can't attack our chat app unless you're on the OpenZD network. You can't even see it unless you're on our actual uh, network that is for Mattermost. So in order for me to send bytes across the network, I have that little agent that runs locally and it will intercept those IP packets. The job of our tunneler is basically to wrap that packet in a tiny bit of metadata that then... Uh, because oh, the, the client will also connect to that edge router. That's important. So the client has formed a mutual TLS connection to the edge router as well. And mm. now there is a path for the data bits that my, my, my client locally has, has um, absorbed to send them along that mesh. So we'll wrap it in a tiny bit of metadata that basically says, I need you to send these packets to this place. And then once those packets get to whatever that place is, there's a, a process that says, oh, these packets are destined to go to mattermost.netfoundry.io. I need to now create a legitimate socket and send traffic to mattermost.whatever.io. So that's really useful in a lot of situations. I talked about Mattermost, but something like Jenkins, for example, if you wanted to uh, have a private Jenkins server, you would be able to have a private Jenkins server. So the the... The mutual TLS is the first step of that path. The second step of that path is the controller will decide where to send those bytes. So that's, what the, that's where the mesh comes in. You say, send my bytes to Mattermost, 
And the controller says the fastest path right now, and it does that by latency, it checks all of your links, adds them all up, adds some dynamic stuff, sprinkles some magic fairy dust on there and says, this is the fastest path, right? And it sends your bytes over that fastest path. And that, if that fastest path changes, it reroutes you. And as long as you don't lose your edge router or on, on either side, all those bytes are just magically sent across the, the fabric to the other side as fast as they can get there. Um, and so that's, I think I answered the question. And then there's, yeah, L, then there's, end yeah. to, there's also end-to-end -end encryption along this line too. So the very first thing that will happen is uh, we use uh, Libsodium in our uh, SDK. Libsodium is well known for being able to run on small devices. So we have a CSDK that you could use and build your own apps. Like this tunneling app is written around that CSDK. And uh, that CSDK uses Libsodium. Libsodium uses... Uh, Cha Cha 20 Poly 1305, I think, is the actual algorithm, which is a really good algorithm for low power devices. So you don't need a tremendous, you know, it does not consume a tremendous amount of CPU. You can run those little agents on, say, a Raspberry Pi or, you know, mm -hmm. we had, you know, whatever, whatever you wanted to put it on as far as the source and the destination also doesn't matter what you're running on. But uh, that and, and encryption is there. And then on top of that, if you happen to ride, a actual secure protocol, like if you were tunneling TLS, so you basically would be encrypting this, this traffic three times, once for HTTPS, once for end-to-end -end encryption, and once for that per-link encryption. Usually not the most efficient thing to do to uh, encrypt the data to encrypt it again. Usually that can be a, a negative, but... Uh... It, it is definitely is, uh, but you know we take that secure layer really seriously, right? Yeah. So like, there's no chance that you can compromise one of our routers and and read those packets because end-to-end -end encrypted that's really important there's no way that you can sniff the link traffic because it's mutual tls that's really mm -hmm. important so if you want to run ftp then you can run ftp <laughs> but you can do it securely over an open z network now you said the controller programs fastest path i assume it basically tells all the edge routers this is fastest path right now and so as a packet is hopping through the mesh it it doesn't have to get intercepted by the controller or anything. Not every time. Like that. No, no, yeah. no, no, no. There are routing tables at every single router. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Now I'm a packet nerd, Clint. So I couldn't help myself, but ask you those questions. But practically Love speaking, it. if I'm running an open ZD network, how much of everything you just described about how packets get through the mesh, do we actually have to care about? You know, that's really the, the, I, I would say this is the best part of OpenZD. So if you have one of these tunneling apps, and if that app is legitimately absorbing some of your traffic, and if you have that mesh network, all you really need to care about is where you want to send it. And then the, the packets will get themselves there, however is the fastest way at that moment. And we know we've done plenty of tests where we'll beat OpenVPN by a bunch. I don't want to you know, dump on anybody, but, and then lots of other tunneling type technologies. It's, it's at least as good as that. Uh, and then because of that smart routing, where it comes really interesting is uh, the internet weather is a real thing. It's, it's shocking mm -hmm. how that's a real thing. And so, you know, you might think that going to, from New York to Chicago is always fastest through Ohio, but sometimes it's faster to go through Tennessee, you know, and like it's, it just doesn't make any sense, but that's the case. So you don't have to think about too much of those packets when they traverse. You, you do need to know how you're going to onboard them and where you want to offboard them. Then where that becomes magical is when you're in a multi-cloud environment. And so if you have packets that you want to tunnel from AWS into Azure or Oracle, or even your own private data center, because everything in an OpenZD network is all based around the fact that you are outbound only to form the first connection. So that tunneler will create a connection out to those edge routers, which will, they don't have to be in the public. You know, if you were like a tier one telecom, I used to work for a global crossing. Mm. If you remember that company, mm -hmm. tier one telecom, yeah. if you wanted to run your own internal private and that's not cloud, but like, you know, if you were part of that, that's, that's as cloud as you can get, right? Like that's the internet. So if you were part of the actual internet, you could keep all those things on net and, and have that ability. But because it's all entirely um, transparent to you, you, you just get it on the OpenZD network and it just offloads them wherever, regardless of your cloud, regardless of its Kubernetes, regardless if, if it's private data center, regardless if it's, if it's my laptop right here. Like we can tunnel to my laptop right here. I, you can SSH onto my, my Windows subsystem for Linux. It's so easy. 
I'm, I'm still trying to connect the dots a little bit about how the traffic actually flows from one of these applications and finds its connection on the other end. Because um, you're saying it's all outbound traffic, but but something somewhere has to be listening or, or at least yeah. be able to be contacted by that app to form that link. So can you yep. dig a little deeper? Because I'm missing something, I think. Yeah, those edge routers. So generally speaking, every single SDK, OpenZD SDK client, of which the tunnelers are an SDK client, every single one will have to rendezvous somewhere. They, since they're all going outbound, there has to be somewhere that they're going. That somewhere is called an edge router. And so there are edge routers that are out there in the cloud, almost always listening on port 443, that require you to present a certificate before they allow you to connect. So that's a core tenant of that zero trust idea is authorized before connecting. So if you try to connect to port 443, you don't present a certificate, you do not create a connection. It's that simple. And also since it's port 443, and because of the way OpenZD is basically creating that synthetic connection, everything looks like port 443. So port 443 and 80 are almost always open outbound everywhere. Some places are you know, a little bit more strict about it, but um, all you need is 80 or 443 outbound and you can create a, an OpenZD connection. You do need that one machine that's out there listening or, you know, in case of DDoS attack, you know, you can have 10 of them if you want to have 10 of them. Okay. And that's forming that mesh that then right. the packet will ride to whatever the destination is. Yep. Mesh and, and I, also um, uh, horizontal, not horizontal, uh, high availability, right? So like you can't have one of them go down. You need to have a few of them. Okay. And the list of edge routers that's provided by the controller to the client when it checks in. Yeah, this is also a really neat thing. So OpenZD allows you to decide what routers you can connect to. So I could say, hey, you know, uh, Clint is allowed to connect to the New York City router. Ethan's allowed to connect to the Los Angeles router. Ned can connect to the Florida router. And, you know, those are the only, that's the only one that you'll end up connecting to. Um, you can have your policies also define you know what services we call them services that uh, you can then access once you've connected to that overlay network we haven't even gotten into services yet we're we're talking about you know pushing the packets which is cool but you know behind the scenes those packets are going somewhere they're going for that application and openzd is really awesome about limiting you know what you can connect to so it's not like some it's not an ip address it's not purely uh, layer 3 it's really more like well it's it's, it's really it's really like a three, but like, because the port is important too, but it's not exclusive to the IP address, I guess. It's more like layer four, I guess, because, you know, TCP, whether it's three or four, you need to know what port you're also destination is going to, because if you're trying to send, uh, say, let's do SSH traffic, which usually is port 22, and you don't have a service listening on port 22, it goes nowhere. It doesn't get absorbed. It just gets dropped. You, you don't even know it's there but we're functioning up in the network stack. We're not down in the kernel like where say eBPF might be. So I, I can't see what's going on within an application. Is that right, Clint? You cannot, well, it depends on, on if you wrote the app, right? So uh, eBPF is a little more of an interesting scenario. Um, it would act sort of like what our tunnelers do, where basically its, its job would be to intercept packets and then somehow transport them to their destination. That's basically what our tunneling applications do, just not specifically using eBPF. I, I don't remember exactly the details in the Linux world because usually you think eBPF, you think Linux, but um, I, I believe we have a couple different modes in our tunnelers which are, are supported. And I, I can't remember if it's a ton or the not ton. We've gone through a couple iterations on that, but, but effectively we need to be able to absorb those packets. Uh, you asked if you can see those packets, if you wrote the application, then sure, you could see those packets because you're you're receiving them. The OpenZD tunnelers, they absolutely can see those packets, but uh, it's all running locally. It's also all open source. I hate I hate, I hate saying this because the, like, there's a lot of code to go look through, mm. but you could always go look through the code, right? Like that's the classic trope. We're in the open source for a reason. I, I like to say, how can you trust a security product that's not open source? Um, because you, you want to be able to go and inspect it and run your own code due diligence. Right. I, I guess I'm thinking of what different kinds of inspections can we do with OpenZD? So we've got we've got this filtering mechanism, this very rich filtering mechanism that you're describing. But then if it's a proxy, let's say, if, if it were a proxy, you could do something like 
bring in an encrypted stream, decrypt it because you have the private key, you know, do some inspection, re-encrypt it, send it out the other side, uh, as opposed to watching the packet fly by and you know, running a filter against it. And that's all. All you know is port 443. You don't even know if it's, yeah. is it really SSH in there? Is it really FTP in there? You don't know. All you see is 443. Um, so it, right now, with an open ZD network, you would have no visibility, and that's very much by design. Uh, open ZD is an SDK. It is at its heart a bunch of SDKs, of which is the CSDK. You, uh, you know, you could absolutely go, and if you wanted to implement, or let's let's say you're out there listening, and you have an appliance that you sell to people in the cloud, and you want to be able to give them a zero trust appliance. You can absolutely take one of our SDKs, bake it into your software. Like maybe it's a web application firewall, right? Common thing, looking for SQL injections or whatever you're doing with it. Uh, if you wanted to have a truly zero trust dark connection and you were the provider of such a uh, such a product, you can take the OpenZD SDK, bake it in, and then tell your customers, hey, you can have a zero trust connection now. So out of the gate, ZD provides you none of that ability. But because it is free open source software because it is based around SDKs, you absolutely could take it and incorporate it into your product. So for example, uh, a zero trust load balancer, right? Like I have a ton of these things I call Zedifications. Lots of, we got lots of ideas. One of which is Nginx, right? We started Zedifying Nginx. What does it mean to have, uh, you talked about a proxy, right? What does it mean to have a zero trust Nginx? What does it mean to have a zero trust load balancer like HA proxy? What's really interesting is if you have an open ZD overlay network and OpenZD is also built around high availability. It's also built around high scalability. So if you want to, you could absolutely create a couple of um, redundant paths to, to machines on the other side. So if you wanted to have that load balancer-esque capability, ZD basically provides that for you already. We have uh, round robining kind of load balancing. We have smart load balancing. You can cost the links if you want to send them to the primary node and not to the secondary node because you know you need to send them all to the primary node. You can you can have that kind of control over your network with the OpenZD network. I, I want to compare this to an API gateway because some of the functionality you were just mentioning, and if we're going to take the, the idea of a load balancer and maybe expand on that a bit, that's kind of what an API gateway functions as or, or an ingress controller if we're talking about uh, Kubernetes because those two concepts also seem to be merging a bit. And the idea yep. is I can do stuff at layer seven. I can inspect the HTTP request. I can make modifications. I can add headers. I can log things if I want to. Are these capable? because of the way that OpenZD sounds like it's working, I can't use my existing API gateway with this because I don't have access to that to get into the packets anymore and the requests. So is OpenZD going to provide that functionality or can I decapsulate or whatever before it hits my API gateway? Yeah, that's generally speaking, the first question I would ask when I, I talk about API gateways is, can anybody on the open internet hit your API gateway? And do they know where it is? Like, will they be able to discover it? Generally speaking, I think the answer is yes, right? Like, usually there is a secure gateway that listens on the internet on a well-known address. So it is, quote unquote, available, right? So it's available for attack. With an open CD network, it would not be available for attack if you would have to know where that edge router is of which you can have numerous of them, right? So it's not a single solitary endpoint. They're all, they're all, discreetly hidden from uh, probing eyes, if you will. You could find them if you were really um, you know, diligent, but if you kept around robbing your own edge routers, then you know, mm. I suppose you could defeat that as well. But um, it is similar. So you mentioned a couple of things like Kubernetes and providing ingress. Uh, that is another area where you know, I think ZD really shines because you can take an open ZD Helm chart and install a, uh, a pod basically, which will provide you that zero trust ingress into your Kubernetes space. So if you wanted to be able to have uh, zero trust access to Kubernetes without having the classic ingress controller that actually is out there and available and listening, well, you can do that with OpenZD. That's a little bit different than the, the classic API gateway. Um, as far as the metrics and whatnot that are involved, the, uh, the, the controller of OpenZD network will emit a rich set of metrics. So if you wanted to be able to see 
who was sending data to what service at what time, how much data, you can go and get that sort of um, information as well. In fact, this is to go back to the you know Net Foundry sponsored podcast. Uh, this is where the uh, the NAS stuff comes in because you'll get those nice charts and graphs that you you don't get that in the OpenZD stuff because you got to have a data lake somewhere to stream all these all this data to. You have to be able to you know run a query using Elastic or whatever you want to use. You, you've broken my brain a little bit here in this part of the conversation, and it started back in your comment about Nginx. I admin some Nginx servers myself, but they're all public-facing. I got a firewall that sits in front of them, filters on port 80 and port 443. If the inbound traffic's on those ports, yay, you can go to the Nginx server and make your requests. If I were to re-architect this and involve OpenZD, what does that look like? Well, it depends on if you are trying to provide public access to those things or not. So yes. that's like number one, Let, right? Let's, let's, if, let's say yes, public access. If you want public access, then I don't think zero trust is for you. <laughs> okay, okay. That's well. That's where my brain broke. Now, I'm like, wait a minute. I don't think this. Fits, if you need a random person, something? if you need a random person to be able to go there, then you you probably are not looking for what zero trust provides. Now, okay, however, okay, yeah. If you are, say, a company who wants their employees to get to that thing from wherever they are in the world. You are absolutely in OpenZD zero trust territory, right? Because now I can hang it off in public space, not worry exactly. about the general internet getting to it, that's but right. my internal customers that can connect exactly. to the OpenZD network, now they can get to it. Yeah. And that's really where it shines is when you want to do that sort of stuff. Like I, I, I use the example, I don't know if it was before, but um, I, I love using OpenZD because I, without changing a firewall in Amazon, I can pick my laptop up and I can go to Starbucks or I can go to my mother's house or wherever, and I can SSH to all my resources because I have a zero trust connection that is not reliant on my source IP address being, you know, the current one I'm sitting in right now. And then if you think about whitelisting, uh, uh, you know, when, whenever people actually go back to this thing that I think they used to call the office, right? So if you have people who are SSHing from this thing called an office, then you know you have to whitelist that IP address, or you have to have private connectivity into that office. Like it gets to be a mess with uh, OpenZD. I, I like to say the internet is your land, really. So mm -hmm. like, you just treat you treat yeah. like everything like it's on the open internet. Have a totally blocked firewall. Don't let anything in. Establish all outbound connections, and doesn't matter where you go. So, okay, let's actually flesh that out a bit. Do I have an OpenZD client on my Mac or my Windows machine or something to gain access? You absolutely could. I have one on my Windows machine. We have them for all of the major operating systems, including mobile devices. So we can call them, uh, we call them the ZD Desktop Edge or the ZD Mobile Edge for Android, for iOS, for Mac, for Linux. Well, for Linux is a thing called the ZD Edge Tunnel, but you can get them for all the major operating systems. Um, and one is available in the store, the windows one you can get from GitHub. Uh, we have a, a place where you can install it from. There are some challenges when it comes to being in the store, particularly for uh, Mac and Apple products, you really need to be in the store. Uh, and those environments all, uh, are some somewhat more conducive than others to zero trust. Some, some want to maintain, you know, that control over your network. Uh, more than others. So Apple's ecosystem is a little bit more locked down. So you need to get things from the store. Linux is a much more of a land grab. You can get it from wherever you want to get it from, but we're working on a package manager. We don't, we're, we don't have them available in package managers just yet, but we're actually working on, you know, deploying them to Ubuntu's and uh, Fedora and whatever your favorite distro is. So, so this is starting to feel more like a, uh, like a tail scale or a zero tier. Is that a fair comparison to make? Yeah, in fact, uh, lots of people ask the exact question, you know, how are you different than, how are you different than? Um, so uh, zero tier, from my understanding, it works a little bit differently. I, I do believe they're doing UDP hole punching. If I checked the last time around, I think, and I believe WireGuard works the same way. So it's a little different in that regard because um, the ZD connections are all entirely outbound. They're also TCP, not UDP. We have looked at using UDP in the past. Obviously, there are some benefits of having a transport that is based around UDP over TCP. Uh, generally speaking, from the testing that we've done, you know, it's not been anything that's been particularly noticeable. But also, zero trust is not about low latency. A lot of times, um, you know, it it's absolutely can be low latency. But uh, if you're thinking, you know, fintech type stuff. 
uh, where microseconds matter. Those three three layers of encryption, you know, <laughs> it might might impact that microsecond that you care about. You know, yeah. in human scale, I never notice it, right? Like yeah. I, I don't even know when I'm using ZD, but the computers that probably could notice in that you know in that level. Okay, so I could install a client on my laptop and use it and. I would be able to connect to one or many uh, ZD networks. That's, that's something you indicated earlier. Yep. How do I, how do my applications know which ZD network to use? Yeah, it's all up to you. You get to control that. So those identities all come with it, a, a bunch of meta information that we call services. And so those services basically declare what, what, um, so let's say we're going to use a tunneler because that's where people will always start. It's easier to start with a tunneler. It's a, it's a, it's approachable right now. You can go and you can take whatever um, uh, uh, application that you have that you want zero trust and turn it zero trust by bringing one of those tunnelers and installing it. So let's say you did that. And let's say, uh, let's say it's SSH just to make it easy, right? I want to SSH from my local laptop to my, my virtual private server in the cloud. And I want to be able to maintain that thing. Um, so basically what you would do is you would go into that controller and you would define a service that says, Hey, Ned is able to SSH to virtual private server. And that, that would be what you would do. Now, the definition of the service is not the authorization of the service. So you then have to create a thing called a policy that says Ned is allowed to dial SSH and then VPS is allowed to bind SSH. And then basically Ned would be able to create a service that gets Ned into the SSH server. And so that's, that would be what you would have to do. And so there, there is, um, there's a lot of different camps on this one because we also support things like CIDR blocks, but CIDR blocks are not particularly zero trust, right? We talked about not mm -hmm. trusting the network. Uh, at the same time, you know, like reality is you might need to have access to a certain address space. So we, we understand that. So if you wanted to intercept the CIDR block, you can intercept the CIDR block, send it to the other side and offload a CIDR block if that's what you want to do. Um, so we support those sort of things too. Because like I, I said before, it's a journey and you might start off like that and then go, you know what? That's kind of a little too much access. This feels too much like a VPN. Let me actually turn it into not a VPN. Let me lock this down to one machine with you know ports one through 65, 535 open. And then you go, oh, well, maybe I shouldn't have all those ports open. Maybe yeah. it's just really these four. <laughs> it still feels all five tuple though. I mean, is there is there some kind of tagging metadata that I can group things on? Sure, sure. So if you wanted to say anybody with an attribute of SSHable can perform an SSH action and can dial that SSH service, then you can assign an attribute to these identities and that attribute is, uh, so, so it's attribute-based access control as opposed to role-based access control. So when you define these services, you can add these attributes that basically say, hey, if an endpoint shows up and that endpoint is declared with SSH client on it, then all of a sudden it's capable of performing SSH. Um, also, we haven't even scratched the surface of what you can do with OpenZD. Like I didn't get into third-party certificates and that sort of trust. Like you don't even have to trust ZD certificates. You can bring your own third-party certificate and slap it into the controller and say, listen, I don't even trust your certs. I'm going to use this cert that I'm providing to you. And it's only the certificate. That's not the private key. So you, you don't have to, you can say anybody who shows up with a certificate that's uh, with a, a cert that's valid for the CA, you can trust them. So there's, there, are, there are loads and loads of features on the backside of OpenZD that we haven't gotten to. Attribute-based access control is absolutely one of them. All the policies are ABAC. So if you wanted to control, you know, like um, you, United States people can use the United States routers, you can make that policy. Hmm. Uh, United States people or HR people can use the HR services, you can make that policy. Right. So uh, the policies are very flexible, attribute based control as opposed to role based control. That way you don't need to know what what your roles are ahead of time. You can just add a tag to it. And then when those endpoints show up, you can just they'll just be able to have those services. And it all comes down to your client immediately. You know, within 15 seconds, there's a, a short delay, but you'll see those services just show up. And all of a sudden, instead of 52, you know, you have 53 services. And you're like, oh, that's neat. What was the new service I now have access to? Oh, it was Jenkins. We've we've hidden Jenkins. <laughs> okay, so as I'm my head's exploding here, as I think of different use cases, one thing that is fairly obvious, I suppose, to this crowd would be 
multi-cloud network routing overlay. So I've got a bunch of stuff in a bunch of different clouds and I can stitch them all together using uh, OpenZD and apply zero trust to all those resources. Is that a plausible scenario, Clint? Totally is possible. And, and really one of those situations that the OpenZD really shines. So uh, we, we have a situation where at least one OpenZD customer I don't know if I call them a customer, but they, um, they're a customer. Uh, they will have their SaaS platform running in Amazon, but they need to be able to monitor things that are running in Azure or Oracle or wherever they might be um, because of the overlay network, because of that zero trust, because of that punching out capability, because of the mesh. Uh, they don't really even need to worry about wherever that um, their client software is deployed into because it only needs outbound internet. So as long as they have outbound internet and as long as they've set up the policies, right, when their agent comes online, they have secure connectivity right into their monitoring system. So yeah, multi-cloud is, uh, I think, is a real strong suit for OpenZD. Yeah, as someone who has had to stitch together multi-cloud in the past, uh, it's, a, it's a headache. <laughs> it's a real headache. Uh, there's a first mover issue with a lot of their built-in VPN uh, solutions. And plus, that's, it's a VPN solution. So it's, it's very broad and it's CIDR-based. Uh, whereas uh, what you're talking about is much more just a, an overlay and you have significantly more control. So I, I do like that. And I like that the, fa the fact that I'm not adding a whole bunch of public IP addresses to my infrastructure that have to be static. To what degree is the whole system automatable? That's, that's a word I just made up. <laughs> Can well, it's I? a great word. It's a great word, yeah. Uh, so the entire thing is driven by APIs. So if you are capable of issuing a REST request, and if you are capable of formulating JSON of of the, the correct flavor, you can absolutely poke and prod the controller and make it do what you want it to do. Um, in fact, the CLI, the ZD CLI that you would use to create edge routers. In fact, if you look at the, um, the quick stars, you'll see I use a ton of ZD CLI commands inside the shell scripts that you can download. All those ZD CLI commands all interact with that REST endpoint. And that REST endpoint, here's another great question. Can you take that management API off the public internet? And the answer, of course, is Yes, you can. So if you wanted to be able to protect that actual, because that's, that's like the Kubernetes API, right? Like that's the, that's the keys to the kingdom. If you can get access to that and you have the right username and password, I mean, there's a lot of hoops, but if you jump through all those hoops and you had that access, then you can define a new identity and you can say, hey, this Ned guy can now go and, and get on Ethan's network. And he wasn't supposed to be able to do that, but now he can. And you can do all that through an API. It's a REST-based API that is uh, exposed on the controller currently. We're working on um, multi-controller support. So in the future, it'll still be API-based. It'll just depend on where you actually send your request to. Well, is this kind of how you envision OpenZD being consumed typically by a developer who wants to bake zero trust into their applications and so they're just gonna be consuming OpenZD? Or is it more of an ops-oriented tool where infrastructure professionals are gonna manage it? Yeah, I, I think that it really depends on your particular use case. So one of the more uh, stronger arguments that we have here at NetFoundry is actually from our lead site reliability engineer fella. He's also DevOps. I don't know what term you guys prefer, but he goes by SRE, right? <laughs> so he he uses he, he likes to say that uh, ZD is a tool that that he has adopted into his toolbox because it lets him do the things that he's supposed to do and yet securely. As the fella who's DevOps related, ops related, he's oftentimes punching holes in firewalls, providing access to things that you know the business needs access to, but he has to do it through some sort of policy, some sort of rule somewhere that he has to maintain. It's not one pane of glass oftentimes, and it's on the open internet. So with ZD, he can just do all that and migrate people without them even knowing it. Because of the way the, the these tunneling apps will um, allow you to define any DNS name, you can effectively shadow a DNS and then deploy your tunnel, deploy your DNS name. Notice all the traffic, again, back to those dashboards and the pay for products. Notice all the traffic. Clint is sending his traffic. I'm going to keep using Jenkins because it's the, the quintessential example. Clint is sending his traffic to Jenkins. I can see that Clint is accessing Jenkins. I can see that Bob is accessing Jenkins. Great. Everybody's accessing Jenkins. Now I can take Jenkins off the actual internet and nobody even notices. Like how many, how many times have you migrated something and had 
the user base not notice like he he made a joke he did a, a nice uh, video you can go find it on our youtube channel but he made a joke about how he turned off access and expected the first two days to be just a firefight storm yeah. while he he goes and fixes the things that were broken but he said nobody complained it, it, it was that point where he was himself to- totally sold that OpenZD was for ops people now if you're a developer like me and i can tell you there have been times in my life when i have deployed an application and I thought I was listening on port 443, but the, the ops person decided that you were going to listen on port 8443, and I'm going to expose port 443 out in the cloud, right? It's like I was going to do a little, a little port switch um, and not tell you the developer. And then I had some bug in there where I was listening on port 443 or whatever. So like my stuff wasn't working. I can now declare my entire network. I'm in control as the developer. So one of the things we like to say is, ZD will actually let you put the developer in control of those things, which is maybe scary because <laughs> I'm a developer. I don't know if I trust myself sometimes. Cause I, I get that, right? <laughs> so so it's maybe scary. I can I can understand that. But once you understand once you see how it all hangs together, I think then you start to feel a little less concerned because really that application is deciding who is supposed to access their service. And so uh, you only need to get that application the ability to um, modify whatever services it needs to modify, and then uh, or create an identity if it needs to create an identity. Once you've done that, then uh, those applications that I'm deploying, you know, it's my job to get that strong identity down to them or to enroll them to actually make them do that strong to create that strong identity. And then all of a sudden, it's just easy for me. I, I can just say, hey, go take the app and use the app. And then you don't need to worry about logging in. You don't need to worry about the zero trust. So it really is for both. And it depends on your mm-hmm. use case. For developers, you can absolutely take this, automate the whole thing to, to, to the nth degree, uh, take total control. We have plenty of customers who actually do do that. Uh, both the OpenZD stuff and the NetFoundry APIs, are, they're both all API driven. Clint, dude, my head is just exploding. There's like another hour, two hours, there's six hours worth of content to continue chatting about this, Clint, to thoroughly get into this. I think maybe we'll just call it here for today. Uh, help bulletize this conversation for us. Are there some takeaways, some things you want to leave with the audience as they think about OpenZD? Yeah, well, uh, first, I'm happy to come back anytime. Uh, the, the, <laughs> the kinds of takeaways that I think are really important to me, um, application embedded zero trust, I think really is, the, I honestly do believe it is the future. You know, you look around and uh, you can't go a day without a zero day exploit. You can't go a day without seeing somebody else was breached, right? Like getting that trust all the way into your application space, I think is really what OpenZD is all about. And what people should really like, that's the mind blower for me, right? The first time when I realized that you could put that trust, although not only into the client either, but also into the server, right? Like lots of times you think about that safe zone in the cloud, right? That's my VPC is safe. Nobody's going to, nobody's going to be able to attack me in here. Oh, I can get to the database. Oh yeah. But nobody's going to do that, right? There's no such thing as log for shell. That'll that'll never happen. (laughs) So um, application embedded zero trust, I think really, really is the future. Uh, and of course, since I'm working here for OpenZD and NetFoundry, uh, OpenZD is free, right? Like you can go out mm. and you can get OpenZD today. You don't need to pay for it. Uh, the quick starts are out there. I was telling uh, somebody on our discourse, I said, um, I think it was discourse where I said, I wrote the quick starts. So if they're no good, I want you to yell at me because I want to make those quick starts so easy that anybody can absolutely host it themselves, put it in the cloud. That's the best place to put it because then wherever you stand up that edge router, it's going to be out in the public and you, and you can put it on whatever port you want to put it on, right? Like that quick start will take you through that sort of thing. Um, if you're a developer like me, OpenZD, the SDKs themselves, they're, they're really approachable. So uh, if you take a look, I've got a... a Go out to our YouTube channel. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have a snazzy place. You can just go search for OpenZD. Uh, OpenZD has pretty good SEO, which is mm. nice. Don't don't look for ZD. Look for OpenZD because all you, you'll get lots of different stuff if you just look for ZD. You get all kinds of recipes that you never thought that you wanted, but you'll be like, man, why am I hungry now? So if you go out to YouTube and you look for OpenZD, we get a bunch of videos on you know what it takes to actually adopt a, a, a zero trust SDK. I do a, a pretty good overview. You can go look at um, from Open Source 101 is out there. I did it recently. Uh, that takes you through 
you know, what, what networking looks like now and how you can superpower. Yeah. You can give your app superpowers by just adopting that SDK. And it, it literally is, I want to say 10 lines of code for, for using the SDK itself. And then um, if you don't want, or you're not able to, you know, bake uh, the SDK into your applications, we have those things called tunnelers, which mm. I, 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 you know, you can start right now. Right. Like you've got whatever that cool enterprise app is that boss is on your back about being exposed in the Internet and you don't want to get hacked. Well, you can add that extra layer of defense, take it all entirely offline, take it all totally dark and run those tunnelers. Um, And then, of course, like, you know, we already hit on it before, but if you if you can't or don't want to host your own OpenZD server, you don't have to. Uh, since it is a sponsored podcast, I'll get that in for you. Uh, you can <laughs> you can always go and you know buy your own network from NetFoundry, but NetFoundry also provides a free tier, uh, a forever free. You know, if you have if you're a maker and you want to expose ten devices on your home network, we we'll give you that for free already. So hmm. uh, those are those are the those are probably the main points that I have from the takeaways. Thanks, Clint. I'll. Good stuff. And uh, I, I like that you your point about application embedded zero trust really is the future in so much as I patched a server on Friday night and Monday morning, there are 20 <laughs> new patches, 18 of which are security patches. Yeah, I am not making that up. That just happened to me this week. And I'm, I'm forever annoyed and always chasing that stuff. Clint, if folks want to give, give them some landing pages, places they can oh, go sure. and, and so on. Yeah. So uh, openzd.github.io, that's the docs page. That's where you'll find all those cool quick starts that I keep talking about that I wrote. Um, and then that, there's always GitHub. You can go to GitHub itself. Uh, when you go to github.com slash openzd, you'll see a preponderance of projects in there. Ooh, so many projects. The one that you really want to focus on is that ZD project. It's the, it's, it's pinned at the top, but um, that project is basically the root of all of the others. All the others are like libraries that go under it. The mm. OpenZD slash ZD project is really the one that I want you to focus on. And boy, I'd really love it for you to help us get the word out. Uh, star that repo, because if you star that repo, then other people will find this project. They'll realize just how great it is to understand that application. Well, hopefully they'll understand application embedded zero trust really is the future um then we have uh we have a twitter handle you can go and sub to twitter at openzd and there's also open ziggy who you'll find he's our mascot because as i say every open source project must have a mascot if you don't have a mascot then who are you right so we've got a little piece of pasta he's our our buddy called ziggy you can follow him as well uh, and then uh, YouTube, uh, every Friday, I will do a YouTube TV, or uh, sorry, ZDTV is what I call it, <laughs> where we'll talk about something Zero Trust related to uh, open ZD stuff. And sometimes it'll be just like Golang, like the other day we were talking about some developer stuff. So yeah, that, those are those are probably the best places to find us. You can find me out there too, but open ZD is more important. You, you'll, you'll find me if you look for Again. me. My name is not hard to find, if you can, <laughs> if you can spell it. <laughs> True. If you want to find out more about the OpenZD project, all of the links that Clint just mentioned will be in the show notes at uh, day2cloud.io or packetpushers.net, where we host these shows. And our thanks to NetFoundry for sponsoring today's episode. We appreciate them. That This is how Ned and I make our living. So virtual high fives to you for tuning in, because if you weren't listening out there, we wouldn't be able to do what we do, talking to the Clouderati, people like Clint, for your education and information. And if you have suggestions for future shows, people you want us to interview, uh, open source projects you want us to talk about, companies you want us to cover, et cetera, let us know. We are monitoring Twitter at Day2CloudShow. And if you're not a Twitter person, go to Ned's fancy website, nedinthecloud.com, and fill out the form there and let us know what you want us to cover on the next episode. If you like engineering-oriented shows like this, just go to packetpushers.net slash subscribe for even more. All of the podcasts, newsletters, and websites are there. It's all nerdy content like we covered today. All nerdy stuff designed for your professional career development. And until then, just remember, cloud is what happens while IT is making other plans. 